Hear the word of the Lord comes from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us assurance. He has given assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the world savior. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you are our shepherd, and you lead us and, and guide us, and just thank you for that today, Lord. Thank you again that we can come together uh, for worship today and to, to sing together and hear from your word, and uh, we, just, uh, we just thank you. Uh, Jesus, we want to see you this morning in a fresh way, Lord. Captivate our hearts, Lord, uh, today as we see a fresh vision of who you are. Um, bless us as we come into, to look to your word. We pray your spirit to help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's good to, good to welcome you. If you're new, your first time here today, my name is Russell, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Philpott Church. It's my privilege to welcome you to our church today. And we're uh, just so glad to have you with us. Many of you this morning may have a favorite Bible verse. Um, maybe it's, it's a verse that's uh, special to you. It's been that way for a long time. Some people talk about having a, a life verse. But maybe there are a number of uh, verses, favorite verses represented here in this, in this place. And of all of the favorite verses that may be represented among us, it's most likely that none of them are found in our scripture reading today. All right? The, the, the book of Philippians, this early Christian letter that we're working through, has a lot of very uh, inspiring passages. Our passage today is not considered one of them. And so we might be tempted to to kind of pass over today's passage. And to be quite honest, that was originally my plan. Um, uh, last Sunday, in fact, when, when the Foss were leading last week, and, and I think, uh, you, you know, emailed me early in the week to ask what my scripture reading was, I, I had told them that I was going to, you know, go right to the end of chapter 2 and just kind of quickly mention the, the last part of chapter 2. And so that was my uh, original, original plan. And so... As you can see, that has been adjusted. Today's scripture reading could be described as, as a bit of a mundane passage because what we really have here is basically a travel itinerary. 
we, we, have some, we have some information about some, some potential upcoming travel plans. So let's read it, shall we? Philippians chapter 2, we're picking up at verse number 19, and we will read to the end of chapter 2. Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And so I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and my fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. So let's, uh, let's follow uh, Paul's train of thought in this letter so far. Paul begins the letter with um, heart-stirring thanksgiving and prayer. His, his remembering the Philippian believers stirs thanksgiving, which prompts prayer. And then he gives this central imperative in verse 27 of chapter 1. Live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And from there he suggests that living lives worthy of the gospel is related to attitudes and actions in the church. And so what is needed, Paul writes, is a mindset of selfless humility. That relationships in the church need to be marked with an others-focused humility. And Paul then points to the person and work of Jesus as the ultimate expression of selfless humility. In other words, you want to know what selfless humility looks like? Think deeply and think often on the Jesus story. And so on that basis, Paul urges his readers to apply God's salvation so that they will shine as lights in the world. They'll be a shining example of the love and, and the grace of God. And so this, this brings us to our scripture reading at the end of chapter 2. 
I feel like this is uh, getting some, maybe it's, um, maybe it's this stuff on my face that's connecting with this mic. That, that might be. I'm, I'm due for a trim tomorrow, so everyone just kind of, it'll, it'll be okay, all right? We okay? You didn't think? It could be me hearing things. I'm good now. How's everyone doing? We're just working something out here, okay? <laughs> so we come to our scripture text at the end of chapter 2. You know, there will be a shift when we move into chapter 3 of this letter, but here Paul caps off his thought that began back in chapter 1 of verse 27 about living this life that's worthy of the gospel. And I think it's helpful to see in this passage how Paul uh, ends his train of thought by giving us two living illustrations. Yeah, he's, he's sharing some important travel updates for the church back in Philippi, but we also have in this passage two living illustrations of selfless humility. And the fact is that we need illustrations. I mean, we, we need to be able to look to people and, and, and see how, how things are, are, are worked out. Don Carson said this, that much Christian character is as much caught as taught. That is, it is picked up by constant association with mature Christians, modeling, modeling. It takes place all the time, whether we take it into account or not. And so we need illustrations. And, and these men model what Paul has been calling for throughout this letter. They are living illustrations of what it means to be partners in the gospel. They show what it looks like to treasure Christ's church, and they show what it looks like to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus. In fact, they model Paul's instruction in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so we need models. We need people to help show us the way. And, and maybe you can think of people in your own life who have served that kind of role or maybe are serving. You know, who, who is shepherding your soul? Who, who are people in, in your life that you may look up to or you're in relationship with? And as I thought about that this week, I can think of uh, people in my own life. I've had people in various churches I've been in and other colleagues who I, who I look up to and I've gone to for that kind of advice and counsel and just being with them and, 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 and seeing how they handle situations. And so we, we need models. We need mentors, if you will. We need people to help us show us the way of Jesus more clearly. And it, often, it doesn't have to be a formalized uh, structure always, uh, but, but certainly we, we learn from, from other people. 
And so in this section of Paul's letter, he's sharing some travel details, details that were necessary for the church back in Philippi to be aware of. I mean, it's not like he could kind of send his, send his, uh, his uh, you know, live update on Google Maps so that they knew when to expect people to come. And so he's, he's sharing these important details to the church back in, in Philippi. And Paul is providing some updates by way of this letter. And so as we read it, we know that Paul wants to send both Timothy and Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And in fact, we also know that Paul himself had, has a desire to return there as well. Let's, let's talk about Timothy for a moment. Timothy was with Paul when he started the church at Philippi. Now, some maybe 10 years later, Paul is writing this letter and Paul is a prisoner. Paul has been jailed because of his, his gospel work. And Timothy is still with him. You may remember that Paul mentions Timothy in the opening greeting of the letter. If you want to look there in chapter 1, the first two verses, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints uh, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And so, so Timothy was there uh, in the beginning with Paul, and now Timothy is still with Paul as Paul is at this uh, tough place in his own, in his own life. And Paul wants to send Timothy back to Philippi. He thinks that in, he can be a service to them. He thinks that Timothy can help them. Look at verse 20. If you have your Bible still open there, I hope you do. Verse 20, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And so, whatever is, at, is, is happening at the church at Philippi, Paul thinks that Timothy can really help strengthen them, that Timothy can help them. And it's likely that the church is expecting Timothy to come. And so Paul says that Timothy is going to come, but not yet. Look at verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And so it seems that Timothy is going to stay with Paul as they wait and see how things are going to work out. And this might be a reference to Paul's trial and, and how those, the situations of his imprisonment are going to work out. And, and if things work out for Paul, in verse 24, you'll see that Paul also then intends to visit. Now, I mean, there's, there's a great deal of uncertainty in all of these details, and so we should note how Paul begins this section in verse 19. He says what? I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And so in, in, in the midst of uncertainty, there is this posture of, of just waiting and, and trusting. And there's an indication that Paul certainly is making his travel plans under the direction of Jesus seeking Jesus, submitting to his plans, depending upon the Lord. You'll note in verse 24, he says, I trust in the Lord that I myself will come also. There's this waiting and trust that's always a part of, of uncertainty. And, and then we have Epaphroditus. And so uh, Paul, is, um, Paul is not sending Timothy right away, but... 
He does plan to send Paphroditus quickly. Verse 28, he says, I'm, more, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So, um, we know that Epaphroditus had brought a financial help from the Philippians to Paul. And so, the context here, you know, unlike our modern criminal justice system, uh, prisoners at the time of this right, of course, uh, would be relying on family and friends for necessities. And so, uh, they, they would rely on, on family and friends and others for basic necessities like food. And so, and so, the church at Philippi is sending Epaphroditus with this gift, and this comes up at the end of, of the letter, with this financial aid, and, and the church at Philippi probably expected that Epaphroditus would then stay with Paul for an extended time maybe and, and be with him and help him out. But those plans changed as Epaphroditus became seriously ill on his trip to be with Paul. And so it may be that Paul wants to send him back because of the implications of his illness. Paul notes, in fact, that he almost died. He, he, this, this journey didn't go all that well. And so here's how this may have worked out. Epaphroditus was chosen to bring a sum of money to Paul. This most likely meant that he wasn't traveling alone, if he's coming with a sum of money. On the trip, he gets seriously ill. And as one person writes, the most likely scenario is that when Epaphroditus fell ill, maybe one of his traveling companions returned to Philippi with the alarming news while another or others stayed with Epaphroditus and nursed him along so that he finally made it to Paul very much worse for the wear. But the ever faithful Epaphroditus delivered the gift and set himself as he was able to caring for Paul on behalf of the Philippian church. And it seems that Paul is eager to send him back so everyone can rest easy. Paul wants to send Epaphroditus right on back because the church is worrying about their, their, their brother. He's, they're, they're worrying about his health. And then, of course, Paul wants his mind to be at ease as well. And so he wants to send him back. And as he sends him back, he wants to make sure that the church receives him with due honor. Look at verses 29 and 30. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, are you coming to understand why this passage is not exciting? A lot of just basic travel details. These, these two men exemplify the kind of, of character and behavior that has dominated much of the content of Paul's letter so far. They are living illustrations of Paul's call towards an others-focused humility. They are men who had a genuine concern for the welfare of others, who, who loved the church and wanted what was truly best for it. Timothy provided a real-life example to the Philippians of someone who exemplified genuine concern for the best interests of others. Look at verse 20 again. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And notice, notice the linkage with verse 21. Timothy is contrasted with others 
who seek their own interests, and Paul says, not those of Jesus Christ. And so, and so there's this connection that genuine concern for the interests of others is deeply rooted in the interests of Jesus. And so serving Jesus involves serving others. And, and immersing yourself in the Jesus story creates this, this genuine interest in other people. What else can we say about Timothy? Well, he, he expresses genuine concern for others. He was a loyal companion, uh, a loyal friend. He exemplifies a warm, selfless, Christ-centered, others-focused character. And Epaphroditus was also a shining example of the kind of character Paul is longing to see grow in the Philippian church. Paul refers to him as a brother, as a fellow worker, as, as, a, as their messenger, and, and as Paul's help. And he's pictured as selflessly ministering to Paul's need despite his own personal challenges. And in fact, he was willing to risk his own life his own well-being in the service of other people. And so in the context of this letter, we can look at these two men and we can see what it looks like. Living illustrations of what it looks like to place the interests of others above your own. To consider what is in the best interests of, of, of our church. The example of these two men is set against those who are marked by selfish ambition and conceit. So, what do we do with this? What, what do we do with a passage like this? And as I, as I read and, and reread the passage early this week, I, I started to think about how we tend to read passage like this and we probably we probably read this and and we think well I've got to be more like Timothy I, I need to be more like Epaphroditus we might read this and think well I I've got to try harder to be more like these men we, we read a passage like this often like we read many passages through a moralistic lens. And we read this and we might say, well, how can I be more fill in the blank? You know, how can I be more generous? How can I be more kind? How, how can I, how can I be, be more you fill in the blank? But, but look again at the passage. You know, as I reflected upon this passage, I, as I thought about the example of these men, the more I read it, the more certain phrases stood out that, that pointed me in a different direction. I mean, go back and look at verse, in verse 19. It says that Paul's hope is in the Lord Jesus. Verse 21 says that Timothy is focused on the interests of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, Timothy, Paul says, has served with me in the gospel. In, in verse 24, again, there's this phrase of Paul trusting in 
the Lord. Uh, verse 27 says that God had, had mercy on Epaphroditus. Verse 29, there's the instruction to receive him in the Lord. Verse 30 notes that Epaphroditus was committed to the work of Christ. And so I would suggest that when we read a passage like this, that we really need another lens. That we need the lens of grace that helps us see how the passage points us to Jesus. And that's what happened to me early this week. I was, I was reading about the character of these two men and, and early on doing what a lot of us want to do. Yeah, I, I need to be like Timothy. Timothy. You know, you start thinking about all the ways you're not like Timothy. <laughs> and I, I need to be more like a Epaphroditus. I mean, this guy risked his life for the interests of others. And how does that make you feel? Oh, boy. And I just started thinking, man, I'm not anything like Epaphroditus. And you, you start reading that. And, and I was, as I was reading about the character of these two men, as, as I kept reading, the more I read, the more my focus by God's grace started to turn away from Timothy and Epaphroditus and more to look at Jesus. And Jesus and the gospel is right throughout the verses of this text. Because flowing out of our message from last week, the lens of grace helps us see what God has done to make Make our obedience possible. And if we're just reading with the lens of moralism, we'll, we will jump to apply commands. We'll want to see ourselves as Timothy and Epaphroditus and how we need to try harder to be better people. But the lens of grace helps us first see Jesus and his transforming and empowering grace. And so seeing Jesus in this passage reminds me that character development really happens from the inside out. That living with Jesus at the center, it empowers my obedience. That character development and spiritual growth is not first a matter of looking at other people and trying harder, but it is first about faith. And trust in Jesus. It's first about a life that is treasuring Jesus. It's about a new mindset that comes from thinking deeply and often upon the Jesus story. And a key point that I want us to have in view today is that being with Christ animates our doing. Being with Christ, treasuring Christ, animates our doing. That treasuring Christ empowers our growth. Sam Storms suggests that the essence of living as a follower of Jesus isn't in trying harder, but in enjoying more. He says, I'm not saying you can change without trying. I'm saying that enjoyment empowers effort. That's first about pleasure in God, love for Jesus. That is the power for growth and character change. 
Seeing Jesus in this passage reminds me that the gospel does not address our behavior first. It addresses us at our deepest need. It addresses us at our heart level because the gospel is something we must experience in our hearts. The gospel is the good news of our gracious acceptance through Jesus. That Jesus graciously lived the life we should have lived. He paid the penalty we owe for our sin. Jesus did this in our place. We are reconciled and brought into a living relationship with God by what Christ has done. And we come to saving faith when when we, by God's grace, see the gospel as precious, as supremely valuable, and the gospel is for me. We come to saving faith when our hearts stand in awe of the reality that Jesus died for me, that he paid the penalty for my sin, that he adopted me and made me a child of God. Yeah, you may intellectually believe, you know, that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, but but friends, when, when you come to that place of recognizing that, yeah, he died for me. When something in your heart sees the value in that, friends, you know that that the God is at work in your heart and life. And I want us to understand that we grow in our faith, that we're empowered to develop Christ-like character as we keep coming back over and over and over again to the gospel as we keep immersing ourselves in the story of God's amazing grace. A growing understanding and appreciation for God's salvation is truly what animates our spiritual growth, our character growth. Tim Keller says this, Faith in the gospel restructures our motivations, our self-understanding and identity, and our view of the world. Behavioral compliance to rules without heart change will be superficial and fleeting. I mean, in the case of Timothy and Epaphroditus, without Jesus at the center, they might enjoy the reputation of being known as servants more than they enjoy the gospel. It's our love for Jesus that centers us and changes not only our behavior, but it works on our motivations. Friends, we will enjoy a powerful work of the Spirit in our lives as we find Jesus to be of supreme worth when we treasure more and more all that Christ has done for us. As someone said, we need to turn our minds to who we are and what we have in Christ so that our hearts are stirred and our behavior brought into line with these unseen realities. So friends, the Spirit is calling us to a life of daily reflection on Jesus and the gospel. The Spirit is calling us to to carve out precious time 
for beholding Jesus. A, a posture of receiving the realities of, gospel, of the gospel by faith. We're being called to a life with, with Jesus at the center. If, uh, if any of you do any shopping on Amazon, you will know that Amazon has some what they call add-on products. You, you know, anyone know what I'm talking about? Amazon, show me, show me your hands. I see those hands. Yeah, add-on products, right? You know, uh, and so the idea is, is that there are certain there are certain products on Amazon, usually they might be of a smaller nature, but in order to get them, you, you just can't, you know, go on Amazon and, for example, order a, uh, a pack of gum. Uh, they, want you to, they want you to order something of more significance, and then there are products that you can add on to that order. But unless you, uh, unless you add a certain product, you, you can't have these other sometimes smaller, smaller products. Go, go, go check it out. <laughs> uh, I have no shares in Amazon, by the way. None, none, what's, none whatsoever. Sometimes we can treat faith like that, though, right? It's almost this, this, this add-on product. Something we just want to add on to our already existing life. So, sometimes we can think that Jesus is the means to something else. Friends, I want us to understand that, that Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the treasure. He, he, he is the, the, the center. He, he's, he's not something that you know, is added on so that we can get something else. He, he is the destination. He is the center. And the Spirit, I believe, is calling us to a way of life with Jesus at the center, a life of treasuring Jesus. He is the one we must delight in. And our understanding of the gospel moves us from obedience that's rooted in fear and guilt to joyful obedience flowing from our pure delight in God. That's, that's what the gospel that's what the gospel does. And I was, um, didn't have this in, in, my, in my notes, but I was, I was in my office earlier this morning and just thinking about this and, and um, just spending some time and reviewing and praying. And, you know, I just had this thought, you know, that as every, every week, no matter who comes and, 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 and you know, shares God's word like this, there's, there's, a, there's, 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 there's a sense of weightiness to it, that you're coming to actually, you know, preach God's word. And I, and I, and I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, sometimes all of us who, who do this, you know, you want to you wanna do well, you want to treat the subject matter well, you want to you wanna preach in, in a way that's pleasing to God, and sometimes you, you can come on a, on a Sunday morning and just feel the, the weight of your own insufficiency, you're, you're ever aware of your own sinfulness, you're aware of how you don't measure up to even sometimes the things that you're preaching, and, and, and there's a couple of ways you deal with that. And so a lot of times you can you can go the moralistic view and say, man, I, I've got to do better this week, and I, I've got to be a better pastor, and, I, and I, I've got to do a better job in preparation. But as I thought about that this morning, you know, the, the gospel reminds me that when I come to God on a Sunday morning asking for help, that, that I, I don't have the privilege of coming here this morning 
and preaching to you based on anything that I have done to deserve to be able to do this, but this is all because of the gifts and the callings and the grace of God. And what that does is that it motivates me, not from a place of guilt or fear, but the gospel motivates me. Yeah, do your best at this. It's joyful obedience because of what God has done through his grace. And that's what I pray happens to you this week. I pray that as you spend more and more time beholding Jesus and immersing yourself in the story of God's grace, that you are motivated by responding to him in joyful obedience. Let's, uh, let's finish up. Let's land this plane. It's our, um, it's our inner experience of the living Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, who calls us to experience something in relation to him and others. And one of the things our inner experience with Christ does is that it prompts us to approach our church and it prompts us to approach others by saying, how can I serve? And how can I sacrifice? It's all throughout this letter. And Paul gives us these two illustrations of two men, I think, who have been so shaped by the Jesus story and so changed by how they have been living with Jesus at the center that, yeah, they've, they have this life of service and sacrifice. And Paul calls for this attitude in this letter, and we see it in these living illustrations. A treasuring Christ, enjoying him, prompts us to give ourselves away. To live with, with open-handed generosity. I hope, I hope that's how we're living. I hope that's a mark of our church. Open-handed generosity. What we see in Timothy and Epaphroditus are men whose inner experience with Christ had shaped an others-focused humility. Jesus transformed these people into compassionate, self-forgetful, sacrificial servants that, yeah, are worthy of us taking a closer look at. And so the passage is drawing us into seeing what faithful, normal Christian service that honors Jesus looks like. And you know what? We're so often drawn to the dramatic and to the extraordinary. And, and uh, Fred Craddock, who is a, a renowned uh, uh, scholar of the last century, in an address to ministers one time, he caught the practical implications of serving Christ quite well. Uh, he says, to give my life for Christ appears glorious. You know, I pour myself out for others to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom. I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. And then he says, we think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a thousand dollars and laying it on the table and saying, here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us back to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. And we go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents here. Listen to the neighbor's kids' troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give, up a, give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. 
Stop and talk to someone who's struggling with, with, with being on the street. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious, he says. It's done in all of those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. And for most of us here, faithful Christian living will mean serving in the ordinariness of life. Pouring ourselves out little by little. Practical acts of service over the long haul. All done for the glory of Jesus. It is being faithful when no one cares and when no one notices. And so friends, as Jesse and the team returns, how might you give out some quarters this week? How might you give out some quarters this week? Maybe it's having a lonely person over for dinner. Maybe it's doing foster care. Babysitting for a single mom. Inviting some international students over. Praying for a friend. Helping someone move. Visiting at the hospital. How might you as, you, as you are being shaped by immersing yourself in the Jesus story, how is that empowering you towards a life of joyful obedience? And this week, handing out some, some quarters. All three men in this passage, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, they show us what happens when the gospel really transforms us from the inside out, what happens is, is that we start, we start to live for and like Jesus. Amen. If we're going to clap, let's do it well. Here we go. Amen. 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 Let's pray. And let's, let's, let's leave here with that, with that grand vision of our Savior in our minds and in our hearts. This, this vision of who Jesus is. And how worthy he is. How beautiful he is. How awesome he is. May, may, we, may we leave here with this vision of his grace in our minds. And, and may we come back this week over and over again to this moment, to this vision, to this picture of Jesus as we see in the gospel of his amazing grace. And may that, may that be the motivation for us giving our lives away, for giving away some quarters this week. May it be the joyful, the joyful obedience comes to us because we've seen the glory of Jesus. And so, Lord, do that work in our hearts and lives this week. Thank you for this.
picture that's been given to us now through your word and through through this song, Lord. And as we, we begin this week, Lord, with this image of, of you, Jesus, in our minds. Holy Spirit, cause this image to just grow in our in our in our hearts and minds. Give us a, a deeper understanding of the gospel and the implications of the gospel. And may that form us and may that shape us and may that provide the, 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 the energy and the motivation to truly live for you. To ask those questions, how can I serve? How can I sacrifice? How can I, how can I give some quarters away this week? Thank you that we can be together in worship. I pray your blessing upon this people, for your blessing upon our church. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are people here at the front available to pray with you as you're leaving. If there are those of you you need prayer, you'd like to come for prayer, there'll be people here at the front. Come and come and see us. God bless you, everyone.